As a thank you to all of the Hey Kings listeners, we're offering 35% off from November 21st to November 27th. And the uh, code that you need there in all caps is HK, like Hey Kings, HK Thanks, T-H-A-N-K-S, no spaces. HK Thanks is your promo code to get you 35% off at hey-kings.com. Welcome to the Hay Kings Podcast, brought to you by Vermeer, your expert in hay and forage equipment. Don Schilling's back again. Today we're going to talk about not the ports and negotiations at the ports and container volumes, but rather we're going to talk about exchange rates and how exchange rates are contributing to a slowdown in the export market, the, the U.S. hay export market. Yep. So in relative terms, Spain exports about a million tons of alfalfa a year. Australia is about a million tons of oat and hay per year. And the U.S. is about four million tons total. Right. Now you throw in some of those other countries, I really don't have a good feel for the other countries. I, I think if you added them all up, you wouldn't get to a half a million tons. Okay. So the, the whole world market is six and a half million tons. The U.S. is two-thirds of that, a little, a little under two-thirds of that. Yep. So we do have, and we do have the supplies, we do have the exportable supplies to meet that demand. It's right. just the question of the price and when. The question of price, it's effectively been answered. And this is what we, you know, this is what we explain to our customers because, I don't want to offend anybody, right? But it's, oh, these greedy American farmers. You've got to go back. You've got to go back to these farmers and tell them that the milk price doesn't support the price of hay. You have to, you have to negotiate with them. And it's, you say, uh, you know, okay, but what you don't realize is we have either already paid for the hay or agreed to a price on the hay. There's no going back to the grower. Right. Right. And if we went back to the grower, you know what he would say to us? Who's going to pay my fertilizer bill? Right. You know, who's going to who's going to pay my fuel bill? Who's going to pay my labor bill, my rent or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah, of course. All the things farmers need cash flow for. Right. And the answer to this is is anytime there's inflation, it has to get pushed to the to the end user. It has to get pushed to the consumer. So if you know, if you have to pay an an extra 50 cents a gallon for milk, you're not missing your mortgage payment because of that. Your kids are not starving because of that. Uh, And it you know, it it adds up. Certainly, it does, but it doesn't. It doesn't break you. Mm-hmm. If farmers couldn't recover their fertilizer bill this year, it might break the, them. What What's the impact of that, right? Yeah. So, what do you do? You push it to the to the consumer, and they absorb pennies, where the producer is absorbing dollars, right? Yeah. Or the consumers absorbing fractions of pennies. On all of those happy notes. Do you have any advice for hay producers? And we're talking largely about the West Coast hay market. This year, I find that we're a little isolated because of fuel prices. It's hard to make shipping hay out from the West Coast eastbound is a little more difficult. What advice do you have for hay producers in in the West, both for the near term and the longer term? In the near term, with 
new crop, right? The situation, the situation that exists right now, it's not going to change. We have to ride this out. But it's important to start to try to grapple with what's the impact going to be come new crop. The prices that we have, they're not sustainable, right? We've just been uh, educated on that. Part of our problem here in the Northwest this year with our alfalfa, it didn't test. We can't even explain it yet, you know, exactly what happened. It's a really hard sell when the hay out of California is cheaper. We've always been able to say, yeah, but that's summer hay. It's 130 RFV and you get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. You, you want better quality, higher test. You know, we're on average, on average, our, our four cuttings are, are, are going to be higher quality than their eight cuttings. Ultimately, California ran out of decent hay. The market would shift back up to us. But, but when our hay doesn't test, how can you charge a premium for it? And I know that's not in the control of the grower, but we need to realize that, right? We've been really proud of our alfalfa and for good reason. But how are you proud of something that tests 120 RFV? Eek. Right? That's certainly um, not top shelf alfalfa. No, and for the first time ever, we're we're seeing tests. 120s, 130s are normal. Mm-hmm. Um, suddenly 150 is high test hay. Um, and where were the 170s this year? Where were the 180s? You know, where was that one field that, that broke 200? You just, you didn't see them. Didn't exist. I mean, prices are easily up a hundred bucks over what they were last year. I mean, what's the price of alfalfa today? We can, we can buy hay right now at 340. By any measure, that's not cheap. And the test on that is probably going to average 135. So um, we need to recognize one that, if we want to get a premium price for our hay, it needs to it needs to uh, continue to be premium quality. The other thing is is uh, what market is growing? Well, the alfalfa market continues to be strong. I mean, China has they've continued to buy largely because they uh, the importers obscure oh. the test results, right? Okay. So if if it's green, okay, we can make this work. Right. Right. As as they continue to test more and become more uh, more sophisticated in, in how they're testing and the conclusions they're reaching, um, we're going to have to we're going to have to have the hay that they expect. But that in terms of volume, that market is by any measure is not shrinking. The Timothy market, we might have hit a high water mark uh, in terms of volume. It might take us a while to recover from it. So if I were a grower and it was a toss up to me between, you know, I, I got to rotate anyway, Timothy alfalfa, I can't get Timothy seed anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plant more alfalfa. That That is a much more well-reasoned decision, I think. Are alfalfa prices going to come tumbling down? I don't, I don't think so. It would take a supply, a supply shift and that's not going to happen until no, I, next May. At the earliest. The great strength of the alfalfa market is, is that you've got the domestic alfalfa uh, demand to support it. Uh, on the Timothy side, there's not, there's no equivalent, right? It's export right. or die. Yep. And in terms of, you know, okay, I'm a, I'm a Timothy grower. I, that's what I do. I, I don't care what's going on with alfalfa or anything else. I'm going to grow Timothy. It's got to be decent quality. And you really got to look at, 
at your inputs and your production costs, and you, you have to make some hard decisions. Because I, I don't think Japan is, is learning now how much, Timothy, it really takes, you know, to, to make our beef and dairy industry work. They're mm. figuring out what are what really are the alternatives to that, Timothy. Now that seems to suggest a longer term, a longer lasting impact. And and I say that because once somebody figures out, oh, I don't have to feed this sometimes hard to source, sometimes expensive structural fiber. I can feed this, that, or the other thing. Then it's hard to unlearn those things. That, that exactly. seems to suggest a longer term structural shift. Let's take a break there and we'll get a word from our sponsor. I wouldn't care what baler anybody was running. I would tell you that this is the best mesh there is, the best mesh. When I switched to Vermeer Net, the first thing I noticed was how strong the mesh was when I was putting it into my baler. It's tough, it doesn't rip, it holds together. The biggest impact Vermeer Mesh has had on my operation has been more time. That time savings is just, you get more money in your pocket or more time with your family. I'm Mike Levesey and that's why I switched to Vermeer Net. I think that it's impossible not to recognize that that's inevitable. You know, the question then becomes, okay, to what extent? If Timothy Price's return to, and I'm making uh, air quotes here, normal, then you would, you would recover some of that perceived loss of reliability on the part of U.S. Timothy. But one of the things that we've seen happen and this started largely, you know, when our ports locked out, that our customers, they're feeding animals. They have um, it to feed matter, them. It doesn't matter what our excuse is, right? Please be patient while we wait to ship to you. It's like, yeah, my cows are not going to be patient. I got to feed them. So we, we had customers that had never, never sourced forage in Europe just you know, buy a plane ticket and go to Europe. We're successful in in uh, in in finding something. You've got people South Africa. Give me a break, right? Mm-hmm. South Africa is supplying alfalfa into China. I'm sure you know we'll see in the trade stats that South African alfalfa went to Japan. They're finding alternatives to U.S. forage, and even as a as a as a U.S. hay exporter. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times I've sat in our conference room and been asked by a Chinese importer, one, if they could buy the company. <laughs> and when I respectfully decline that, it's, well, how much do those hay presses cost? Well, $2 million each. What if I bought you a hay press and you gave me a discount on every ton that I buy? Right. So that's that's their approach. So, wow. you know, to, to, to a U.S. exporter that isn't in trouble – uh, it's flattering. It's entertaining. You you figure out a way not to be offensive, and you respectively respectfully decline that. Right now, right. imagine now imagine you're somebody in South Africa or in Sudan. Oh, or in Ethiopia. Might, that might be way Ru- more attractive. Oh my gosh! Right, that, that might sound oh like a windfall. Gosh. Yes. So you get this investment that even if you look at it and say, well. Long term, this is it's never going to work, right? But in the short term, you're going to get this investment. Um, there, you are going to produce some alfalfa. It is going to get exported until people realize, 
wait a minute, wait a minute. We've got water here. We've got good ground here. We've got equipment here. And you're exporting this? No, screw that. We're, you know, we're growing corn or we're growing wheat or we're growing something to consume inside, uh, you know, domestically to feed people. But in the short term, we now have competitors to the United States springing up all over the world. Yep. And you look at, you want to dismiss those places as those are third world countries, right? Yes, they are third world countries. So what happens when Chinese investment comes in or Arab investment comes in? Yeah, it's a third world country. Who's more responsive to that, right? Yeah. Um, what, what political systems are amenable <laughs> to investment like that? So it's, it is going to happen. And so right. how, do, how do we combat that? We combat that with a combination of uh, better quality, uh, a more reliable source, right? We, if we say we can ship this week, we can ship you once a week, we can actually do it. Mm -hmm. And then we have to, um, we have to recognize that, that when hay prices jump a hundred dollars a ton in a year and the dollar strengthens by 30% in a year, there are going to be repercussions. And we have, we just, we simply have to be aware of, of the impact of, of our high prices and our strong dollar are. So what I just heard you say is this isn't changing anytime soon. This is something that's going to have ripple effects for mm, not long, long term, because we're still, we still have an excess supply. And in the last episode we talked about, we have a lot of excess infrastructure, whether that's water in the Northwest, yeah. not necessarily exactly. California, yep. but roads, shipping yep. containers like we've yep. already talked about. Yep. Long term, we still make a very high quality, consistent product. Uh, that the rest do. of the world has trouble competing in that. That's correct. Yep. In the yep. short term, though, price might dictate competition from elsewhere. Now, um, before I say the next thing, your listenership is uh, heavily weighted to the Northwest and the Midwest, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So those guys in California are screwed. <laughs> and, and, you know, for every ton that becomes more expensive to ship out of California or impossible to ship out of California, that creates an opportunity for us up here. If you looked at the Columbia Basin and said, can we grow more alfalfa? Well, only if the price of alfalfa goes up a lot, yeah, right? I mean, a I little think, more. I think it's more likely that we're going to see um, alfalfa from further, from a little further east moving, you know, for export to, to make up for what perhaps can't come out of the PSW long-term. What I just heard uh, you I, say there is the market boundary is going to change. And as I think yes. about the current or maybe a historical market boundary, we're talking about Arizona, Nevada, maybe a tiny bit into Colorado, Utah, all of Idaho and, and Western Montana. Exactly. And you're saying that Northern tier is going to flex in a little bit. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think we've also, as hay exporters, we've been a victim of our own success. If you look at how capacity ramped up and we created through competition a false sense of demand, one of the things that you have to, you have to say is if Japan was able to forego really buying new crop hay in June, July, August, September, right? If they essentially had enough old crop in the pipeline, 
then didn't we produce 25% more Timothy in 2021? In the worst drought that we've ever had with zero dry land inventory. Exactly. To allow Japan to continue to consume old crop Timothy for four months as a free market capitalist economist, right? Why, why did the market signal production to produce 25% more Timothy than needed to be consumed? And I say, well, what's the communication mechanism? Um, it's right. not the Japanese importer. It's the U.S. exporter. And how does the U.S. exporter communicate that to the grower? He's out there offering a higher and a higher price. And how did we get ourselves into that situation? Because the importers have never been uh, – I mean, I remember, I remember times when a Japanese hay buyer would be looking at hay with me and they'd pull me to one side and they – this. I mean, it sounds creepy. they pull you to one side and they'd whisper to you – I'll pay $10 a ton more than anybody else. I just want this hay, right? <laughs> that's, that's a real market signal right there. Right? Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. Um, but what we've been doing as exporters, these, if you look at the number of ex, uh, companies that export hay, right, just graph them. They've grown steadily. And, um, and as uh, each one of us says, okay, I've got one hay press or, you know, I've got one new hay press. I've got two this year. I had one last year. I've, I've got a business plan that says I need a minimum of 30,000 ton to pay for this press every year. I need to go out and buy 60,000 ton because I have a new hay press or I'm a new entrant. Yep. Um, you have to get your elbows out and pay higher prices to compete against the the only way establishment. Exactly. So over the course, you know, you want to call it over the course of the last three years or five years or however many years you want to say it is, we've been trying to elbow each other out of the way in order to secure this volume not because the Japanese are saying to, to us, uh, my demand uh, has increased this year by 10%. We're feeding 10% more cows in Japan. We need more Timothy. It's not the, the signals haven't been coming from the market. It's because we overbuilt on exporting, on press capacity. Yes, we did. So press manufacturers don't listen to this podcast either, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, from what you just told me, those that export presses, which I think is everybody to, you yeah. know, to the rest yeah. of the world, should be quite happy. Yes, they are. Well, again, thank you very much for your time, Don. I, I appreciate having you back on. Thanks. It's been a pleasure.